word, but also just to minister. So if you have a need, you don't have to say anything. You just can quietly present that need to the Lord, and I'll pray over stuff, okay? God, today we, we, um, we love you, Lord, and I say that we because I know many of us do. There are, there are many people here who don't really know you in that way, and I, I, I think it's important just to say that you love us. You love us so much, and um, it's been demonstrated in so many ways. And so, but it, one of the ways, Lord, is that you have said that you want us to come to you, so we do today. And I'm mindful, Lord, that there are, no matter what, it's a day of celebration. Kids are dressed up. They got little bunny ears and pretty dresses and all of those kinds of things, yet present with us as well are needs. There are some here in this room who have a broken heart because of a relationship or maybe a broken body, they need a touch from heaven or there is just something their boss has said and they expect a pink slip tomorrow and they just are not, they're not sure where provision will come from. Lord, would you be the God who sees our needs today? I especially want to talk about, Lord, the things that would be so weighty upon us where the need might be so great that we feel discouraged and it's even hard sometimes to see hope. Lord, would you bring hope where hopelessness reigns? Would you bring healing where brokenness exists? Lord, would you bring provision? Would you just touch your kids? Minister to us, Lord. Fill us with life. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, you can say amen. 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 Okay, good. So uh, before we get into today's teaching, I should just tell you I love Proverbs. And so we always start with a proverb. Today is the 16th, so I chose uh, verse 24 out of chapter 16. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I love honey. I used to keep bees, and they make good honey. I don't do that anymore. It's too much work for me, <laughs> for the bees. Um, anyway, so it's awesome to help you, have you here with us on Easter to acknowledge the power that Jesus has over life and death. And uh, I really believe that not a single one of you is here by accident. You might think you came because you were polite. Someone said, hey, come with us to church. And so you said, okay. And, um, and it's not your normal thing. I, I, that could, that's all true. But I also believe that there is a sovereign th- uh, component there where the Lord just somehow works in hearts to get them to where he wants them to be. And I think that you're here today because the Lord has planned for your life. And um, today is part two of just a simple two-part series I've been, um, I've been on last week and today that Jesus is coming back. That's what the series is about. And the, and the reason that he's coming back is because he has plans. He has plans for you and he has plans for me. Last week, we talked about the topic, how can we know that Jesus is what he said he was, that Jesus is actually God? How can we know that? Is Jesus really God? Is he, is he the only way to heaven? That's what he said. Is he the only way to heaven? How can we know? Can it be proven? Those are great questions. The answer is yes, yes. You know, we covered that a lot uh, last week in detail. We went through some very specific examples. Um, and, uh, but I do want to take, in case you weren't here, I want to take a, just a moment and kind of quick review and say there are lots of ways that the Lord has proven himself. And I'll just give you a couple just for the sake of time. One of them is that creation gives us an understanding of him. God has already revealed himself. He's already proven himself to every person. And if you think about it, there have been times where, without being in church, without looking at the Bible, that you just had a sense that you knew something bigger and grander than random chance and, and uh, whatever is, is, the, is the creator. Romans 1 talks about that topic. It says, for God has shown the truth to them 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Things that are made, okay. That's the earth. That's the animals. That's you and me. That's the angels. Everything that's made. It says his invisible attributes are understood by the things that were made without anybody ever even saying a word. The creation testifies to into every heart that God is God. Okay, I'll keep going. Even, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And God goes on in this passage and he talks about what happens in people's lives when they go down that pathway and what it looks like, you know, that people not only reject him as savior, but then they begin to suppress the truth and, um, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie and they create philosophies and philosophies then to justify and so forth. That's, that's what, and even though the creation that you and I see when we go on our hikes and we go outside and we look into our children, you know, the miracle that children are, even the creation that we see, even though it's skewed by the fact that it's cursed, right? Even though it's skewed, scriptures tells us that it's still sufficient to testify to us the truth about God so that we're without excuse. So that was one thing. And the second one is that there are, the, the, the scripture is full of so many prophecies and predictions that if you take the time to study them out, you'll find that they are 100% accurate. There are no prophecies and predictions that are close, but no cigar. They're either, they're there. They're 100% accurate. And last week we went over some very specific ones um, that would be the odds of them coming true are basically absurd calculated absurd, um, but we went over the scientific, the mathematical, the historical. I'm not talking about just saying, oh, because the Bible says so. I'm talking about facts that are historical that you can look up, not by looking in the Bible, places you can go, measurements, calculations, and they're right on to the day. Perfect, perfect. And uh, so anyway, that, that message last week, I don't want to re-preach. It sounds like I want to get going on that again. I don't want to. Um, it's available if you, if you missed last week and you like, kind of like to catch up on that. Um, it's an interest to some people. The, the church website, crossroads.life, it's free. You can download it there. And I think there probably are some CDs available. You can pick up. They're free if you want them. Um, out in the, just on a table out there after, after church. And uh, so once we've established that... Jesus really is God, that the Bible really is his word, it brings us on further on this pathway to today's topic. And today I want to consider with you one of the, um, the most incredible doctrines of the Christian church. In fact, it's, 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 it's borderline preposterous, okay? And that's the topic of the rapture. The rapture. You might have heard of it. Now here's the biggest thing going for the, the, the doctrine of the rapture. It's true. It is. It really is true. And, um, and it can happen really at any time. Jesus has plans for his bride, which his bride is the church. Okay? If you've ever wondered why Christians make such a big deal about marriage, there is deep meaning about the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And it translates to our marriage. And I love you, honey. Glad I'm married to you. Um, anyway, so... The Lord's going to come back for His bride, which which actually is the church, and um, it's uh, He has plans 
And that's, that's, that's all of us, you, me, all of us who are followers of the Lord. And he's, and he's going to come back soon just as he promised. Now, the Bible is full of discussions about end times topics. Um, just a lot in there about the literal return of Jesus Christ. And uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, there are over 1,845 references to the end times, times that Christ will come back and rule over the earth. In the New Testament, there are over 318 references and of the 20, uh, 27 books in the New Testament, 23 of them give prominence to the topic of the return of Christ. In fact, for all of the predictions in the Old Testament about Christ's first appearing, which we call Christmas, right? You know that there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that say that unto us a child will... You know, you know that there's a lot of prophecies, hundreds of them. For every one that there is about his first appearing, there are eight about his second appearing. A lot of prophecies about end times. And um, obviously, for God to go into that kind of detail, it's an important topic. It's a very important topic. So that's why we're going to look at the coming of the Lord, as we know, uh, as, as the rapture. And the rapture is just a doctrine that's been taught in the church. And um, uh, the Thessalonians had a lot of questions. The Thess- Thessalonians were um, um, a, a group of people who lived in a town called Thessalonica, Therefore, they're called Thessalonians, right? And the Apostle Paul wrote letters to them. And if you have a Bible, then you'll know that there are two books in the New Testament, First and Second Thessalonians. Those are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. That group of people, the Thessalonians, man, I feel like I'm lifting when I say, <laughs> that group of people had a lot of questions about the rapture. And we have a lot, of, a lot of questions about it, I think, too. So um, the rapture is good news to believers. It's, in fact, the Bible says to comfort one another with these words. And um, it's really comforting to Christians. And in another place, it says to Christians that the rapture is our blessed hope. Okay. Why? why? We need to find that out. And we need to, we, we, if you're a believer, you need to know what the future holds. And you know what? If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you need to know, too. You need to know too. So we're going to talk about that today. So I'm just going to launch right in today. Four key questions regarding the coming of the Lord known as the rapture. Four questions. Okay, question number one. This is very basic. What is the rapture? What is it? What's the rapture? First Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself, he doesn't send an entourage of angels here. He comes in person. This is a pretty big deal to God. The, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Trumpets in the Old Testament always heralded a meeting with God. Okay? Here comes a trumpet. And, and the dead in, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What's the rapture? The rapture is when the Lord comes in the air for his bride, the church. Now, most Bible scholars believe, and I agree with them, that when the word talks about the return of the second coming of Christ, it's actually talking about two different events, okay? One of those events is the return of Christ for his bride, okay? And the second one is the return of Christ with his bride, Okay, so we're talking today about the first one of those two. The rapture is the first, the catching away of the bride. Now, some people have um, objected. They've noticed and said, hey, you know, what's the deal with this doctrine you have, you Christians have about the rapture? That word rapture is not even in the Bible. True. 
It's not. If you have an English Bible, it's not in there. If you, however, happen to be a nerd and have the Latin Bible, I'm not insulting you if you have a Latin Bible. I don't have, actually I do on my computer, but I don't speak Latin. I have to look them up. Uh, but if you have the Latin version called the Vulgate, you will find a word in there, rapiemer or, or rapturus, which is the, the root from which we get our word rapture. The Bible that we have is in English, and it's a translation from Greek. The New Testament is translation basically from Greek. And in the Greek, there is a word harpazo, which means caught up. It means snatched. I mean, if you picture me walking down the street and all of a sudden a big old hand comes down and grabs me by the scruff of the neck and it goes, pulls me up. I, I don't choose to go. I, w- I don't not choose to go. There's no choice in it. Snatched. That's the word. Raptured. Harpazo. And that's what the Lord is going to do. He's going to take away his bride. Now, once we get past all the semantics issues and who cares about Greek and Latin and all that kind of stuff, only weirdos like me care about that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the point is that the, the concept of the rapture is clearly taught in Scripture. It's very clearly there. The rapture of the church is the event in which God removes all believers from the earth to make way for his righteous judgment, which is going to be poured out on, on the earth during the time called the Great Tribulation. So the rapture is a blessed hope, the comfort of all believers. It's the coming of the Lord. It's, it's a time that we look forward to as believers. The catching away of the bride is our blessed hope. Second question, when is the rapture? <laughs> Wouldn't I, we would all like to know that, right? I mean, everybody would like to know that. I, the, the Lord doesn't tell us, and we'll talk about why. Um, one of the reasons that I think he, he wouldn't is that, you know, if we knew when it would be, you know, we'd go, oh, well, hey, I, I can kind of don't have to take eternal things seriously. I'll just get it straightened out right before at the last moment. I mean, that's in me. That kind of, you know, I'll play around and then get right at the last possible moment. Wouldn't I, Mom? <laughs> yeah, see, I have to be honest with you because my mother is sitting here, and if I claim something otherwise, I would have to face that, and I do not want to face that. So... But Jesus talks about it. It says, it says um, we'd like to know. It says, the Bible makes clear that we cannot know that. And this is Jesus talking in Matthew 24. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If you have somebody telling you, God is coming back on a certain day. And over the years, people have done it. They're not speaking under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because they do not know. No one can know. And uh, although it's true we can't know the date, God's word does talk about what will be signs of the end days. What will the conditions of the earth look like? And so we can kind of take a peek at that. Jesus even talks about that in Matthew 24. But as, as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming, uh, coming of Sa- Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be left in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and another left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. I, um, I, I have a painting to show you. This is a painting from 1942 called The Rapture of the Saints. And I chuckle a little bit about this. This is an old painting that's been in Lisa's family for years. It's 
it's uh, now it's in our family, and um, you, you you leave it up there for a bit if you would. Um, you can't see enough detail from where you're sitting, but you get the picture here. Jesus is up in the sky, and all of these people are being raptured, and they're flying up in the sky. And um, but if you were able to look a little more closely, you'd see some details there, and some of those details make me chuckle. Okay, here's a couple of them in the upper right hand corner. Um, well, let's, let's talk about right in the middle. Right in the middle, there's a tent in front of some trees, and there's a person sleeping and another person going. In the field, there's one person pushing a plow and another person flying up in the air. In the upper left-hand corner, there's a graveyard, and you can see all these people flying up. Okay, so, so this is an artist's um, idea of what that moment will look like. But what makes me chuckle, I probably shouldn't chuckle, this is not funny, but it, it makes me chuckle. Um, in the upper right-hand corner, there are some buildings that are clearly no one's coming out of. There's a pool hall, a theater, and a winery. <laughs> and the reason it makes me chuckle is that somebody has an axe to grind about certain activities, especially the winery one, that makes me chuckle, because if you're a student of the Word of God, you know that Jesus' first miracle was he made wine. And he didn't make grape juice. He made, why have you saved the best until last? He made wine. So uh, if, if somebody in a winery doesn't get raptured, then I guess Jesus wouldn't make it. So I, that makes me chuckle. I, I think there's some, but there are some other things here too um, that are of note. Um, it, you can't see it because it's a small detail, but in the very center of the picture, off in the distance, is a little tiny church. You might see the steeple, now that I pointed it out to you. And if you looked up close, you'd see a few you know, people flying up through the roof going to Jesus. But what you would also see is, in front of the church, a lot of people coming down the stairs with their Bibles in their hands, going home from church, and they're oblivious. Kind of a scary thing. Um, I, it's like, okay, I, 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 there could be some truth to that. I think there, there could be some truth to that. Here's something I want to say to you, though, right now. Do not build doctrine from artwork, okay, <laughs> or from your opinion, or from what culture says. If you're going to build doctrine about God, you need to do it from what he said, you get, the only safe place for doctrine is the word of God. Anyway, so um, when is the rapture? Jesus says, we can't know. We can't know. But we're supposed to watch. We're supposed to watch. And here's a question that I get a lot on this topic. And when this subject comes up, you know, Terry, um, do you think the rapture comes before the tribulation? At halfway into the tribulation? At, at the beginning? Or at the end? I mean, where do you think it will come? Now, I'm going to say this to you. Here's, here comes a disclaimer. There are varying opinions on this topic. Some really smart people have different opinions from me. Apparently, I'm smarter than them on this topic. <laughs> I'm just saying that there are different opinions, but I'm going to teach you what I believe the Word of God teaches because it's what I believe. Okay? I believe Christians will be raptured before the tribulation. It's not just because that's when I want it to happen. I really believe that's what the Scriptures teach. And um, I think it'll come before the tribulation, before the wrath of God. And, he- and here's why. It's really clear that we're not appointed under wrath. First um, Thessalonians 5 says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is in plain, simple terms. God doesn't want his children to experience wrath. Instead, he's giving us salvation. You see that... Salvation is the alternative here to wrath. Another one, 1 Thessalonians 1. Wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there is wrath coming on the world, and the Lord delivers us, wants to deliver us from that wrath. Now, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I work 
I've spent a lot of time preparing messages like this. And I have never, um, in my years pastoring, and I've been pastoring a very long time, <laughs> it seems like, um, and I've never, ever really used that phrase, wrath of God, in a church service because of the connotation. People will think, oh, you're just trying to scare us. You're just, you know, and I'm not. I, 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 that's not what this is. God does not want you shaken. God does not want you troubled or scared by this. And uh, we're to be comforted by these words. Second Thessalonians 2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, the Thessalonians were really wanting to know about this topic. They had been taught this topic by the Apostle Paul when he'd been there present. So they, as early, when they, when they first understood and opened their hearts to Jesus, he taught them right away, and he was gone. And they wanted to know about this harpazo, this snatching up. And um, the reason that they wanted to know was because they mistakenly, they wrongly believed they had missed it. And so they were concerned, and they thought, oh, woe is us. And they were absolutely right to take this seriously because missing the rapture is a really bad choice. It's a bad deal. But they hadn't missed it. And so the heart behind the Apostle Paul's letter to them was to bring comfort and encouragement, not fear. And that's my heart too. I don't want a single person here to have any fear here. And I don't think you have to. In fact, we're going to talk about why you don't because the Lord makes a way for every single person not to have fear about this. There's a place for every one of them. I'm going to, I'm going to get to that. So don't let this topic bring fear, okay? Let it connect instead with your heart. Make a connection between your heart and the Spirit of God who wants to speak to you about this. And G- Jesus talks about why we shouldn't fear this too. In John 16, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you and me to Jesus' trust, to trust in him and to find the peace that comes in. And what he will do will be in absolute concert with the word of God. So, to help us watch for Christ's return, God does talk a little bit about what it will look like in the end times. And, and so I, I, there's a lot in here I can't go into. I'm going to give you a couple of signs about end times so that you can see what scriptures say. Because one of them is that scripture says in Second Th- Thessalonians 2 that there's going to be a falling away. A falling away. And uh, we're living right now in a day when Christians, I believe, Christians are falling away from the truth. Churches who used to believe the Bible was the word of God, no longer believe it. Churches, you know, there, there, there are churches where there, there's no longer a preaching of the word of God. There's, there's no longer a believing of the word of God. There is no longer a discussion of sin. It's too unpopular to talk about sin in our culture today. And if there's no sin, then there's no conviction, and then there's no need to repent. And 2 Timothy talks about this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. It says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so people come to church only because they have an expectation. If I come, you got to encourage me, and I want to encourage you. But if that's what you come for, you're coming for the wrong reason. There's something way, way better than being encouraged. You know, but some people come, and they think, you know, they want to hear a message. God wants to bless you. He, he wants to give you, you know, the, the dreams of your heart. And somehow God gets translated in our minds and in our expectations to being this, this cosmic Coke machine. I put in the right work and the right prayer, and out comes my desired result, or, you know, a genie in a bottle, or, you know, a bellhop. And loved ones, that's not who God is. God answers prayers. God will be moved by your faith. Your faith can move mountains, but he's not at your beck and call. That is not who God is. And um, there's a whole generation of churches that are now teaching and preaching those kinds of things. And another, here's another passage, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. But understand this, that in the last days, here it goes, will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. I always chuckle. I shouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I chuckle at inappropriate times. I, I mean, I look at that and I think, disobedient to their parents is on the list here. God doesn't see that as a small thing. My mother's going, where was this before? <laughs> I play with my mom during church services. I, you know, thanks for letting me do that. But I mean, it, it makes the list. God sees ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. There is a sign of the end times written thousands of years ago. Is that happening today? You can ask yourself. There's a falling away happening today. And Paul teaches that the falling away is going to come just before the rapture. So when's the rapture? I believe it's before the tribulation period. Question number three, what happens at the rapture? What happens exactly? Okay, well, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about that. We read this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So something miraculous is going to happen. This is all miraculous, by the way. The fact that you walk and talk and came from your parents is miraculous. So the idea that the Lord can be resurrected, it's miraculous. The idea that he can reassemble and call the dead up, dead, people that have been dead so long that they've turned to dust and they're gone, or people that fell overboard and got eaten by that big jaws, <laughs> or people that are creamy. None of that makes any difference to the Lord. The Lord is going to call those people and put them back together supernaturally. I should keep going here. I can get all excited about that, okay? It doesn't matter. And God will give us a new glorified body. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is something we don't understand how this works, right? So this is a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible, he's talking about our bodies here. You see this? This is a corruptible body. It's falling apart as you sit here looking at me. Okay? My body is falling apart. So is yours. I mean, I can make fun of it and tell you I have less hair than I used to. Or I could tell you other things that I don't want to tell you about my body falling apart. And you could probably tell me some things that you face. Our bodies are incorruptible. They're not meant to go forever. In fact, the Old Testament refers to our bodies. It uses a word that really means a temporary dwelling place. Kind of like you and I would use the word tent, right? These are temporary dwelling places. They weren't made to last forever. I'm really glad. I should keep reading. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and mortal must put on immortality. I'm frankly glad that the Lord is going to take this corruptible, breaking down body. Want me to get that? It's okay. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so glad God is going to take this breaking down body and replace it with one that's engineered for eternity. Incorruptible. What a better deal. It's a blessing. It's coming. And anyway, incorruptible. Incorruptible. Some, some, there are some other important things that are going to be going on at the same time when, when all of the Christians leave. Because when the church is snatched away, all of the Christians are gone. Now think about that for a minute. Think about just the influence that you have as a Christian. You, you presumably live a life where you care for people and you make a difference and you bless people. That's going to be gone. There may be other people that do the kinds of things. I'm sure there are. But your influence is going to be gone. But that's not the biggest deal. Scripture describes a force that is present in the world today. And the way that the scripture describes it, it says this force is restraining the revealing of the evil one, of the Antichrist. That this, present, this, this force is restraining all kinds of evil. And many Bible scholars believe this, and I agree with this perspective as well, that that restraining force, when you study the scripture, it's, it's, it's a pronoun that's used that can only refer to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as he indwells believers. Okay? And so once Christians are taken out, the Holy Spirit goes with them. And that restraining ends. It just ends. And when that restraining force ends, when that ends, there will be a man who will assume world power Scripture says and describes him as someone that's known as the Antichrist. And then the clock starts. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Tick-tock, seven years. It's described in lots of passages, and I'm not going to spend too much time on that today. I'll touch on it, but it's a, it, that's a series all in itself. And here's what it says in Second Thessalonians is going to happen. It says, he's talking about the Antichrist. It says, he, the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship. Every. He's going to put himself above every so-called God and object of worship. For example, he's going to say he's above Allah. How do you think that will go over in the Arab world? It's going to go over because they will believe he's the 12th imam. In fact, the Jews will believe he's their Messiah. That's how twisted this is things are going to get when that restraining force is gone. 
And Jesus even predicts this. He says this in John 5. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. Yet if another man comes in his own name, you will accept him. And there's going to be this covenant that he enforces um, between uh, the Antichrist and Israel. He's going to let them rebuild their temple and, and do things. And things are going to be going swimmingly. Everybody's going to be going, isn't this great? This is wonderful. This guy has brought it all together. This is wonderful for us. And in the middle of that seven, remember I said seven years, tick-tock, tick-tock. In the middle of that, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to reveal his true colors. And after literally thousands of years of God's perfect love being available to people of, of, uh, uh, and, and, and yet being rejected. The, world, the, the things in the world are going to go very bad, very, very fast. And the sovereign God, the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything, in it, the author of love, the one who loves you and me so much that he freely chose to give up his son to pay the price for our sin, only to have that rejected by so many, literally millions of people over, you know, who would choose the world over his life. When all of that has finally reached its tipping point, Romans 1.8 says this, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the tribulation is tribulating because God pours righteous wrath out on the world. And it was never, ever God's plan for it to get there. He never, ever wanted it to get there. That's where you hear this scripture that gets quoted so often, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't want anybody to perish. He didn't want anybody to perish so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. First Thessalonians 5, we read this. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's going to protect everyone from wrath, everyone who calls on the name of Christ. They're going to be protected from the wrath. Romans 8, 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ... Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. I can't be good enough. I'm going to sin. I'm, I can't get there by being a good... The law of that is that I am hopeless. Jesus sets us free from that. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so... He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who's us? Us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And here's what God has been promising to anyone who will call on the name of Jesus as Savior. Romans 8.10. Great promise. If you, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I get to claim the righteousness of Christ because I'm his follower. Hey, I'm covered. Jesus has me covered. I claim that righteousness. Verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, 
He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now, that's a great promise. But here, this, this promise is for Christians, mind you. This is, this is for true Christians. This is not for pretenders. It's not for people who profess it. It's for people who literally possess relationship with God and possess the power of the Holy Spirit. It's for the genuine and the true. And tragically, for people, all those people who claim to know Christ, but there's no fruit. There's never been any change in their lives, you know, any life change, and they're just living a life. Those people will be left behind. The Lord calls those who are really his. So the last question is, what do you do if you miss the rapture? What if you miss it? If you miss the rapture, you will experience the tribulation. You will go through the tribulation. If you miss it, there will be no turning back. It's, you're going to go through the tribulation. And listen, if you miss the tribulation, you may miss heaven forever. Well, I don't know, Terry. If I miss the rapture, I saw the movies. Um, I'll, you know, if I'm on the airplane and all of a sudden there's a white flash and I see all these empty clothes or all of a sudden all these people are gone, I'll, then I'll realize, oh, what you said was what the, the gospel is true and I'll get squared away with God then. Okay, maybe. Maybe. Because the Bible does say that many people will get saved during the tribulation If that's your plan, you should study it because the people who get saved then are going to get saved under very difficult and specialized circumstances. It's not a good plan. Um, And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I don't believe that there are going to be a lot of people getting saved who've missed the rapture like us. I mean, people who've been in churches and have heard the gospel and the good news maybe many times and blown it off again and again and again. I just don't think that people like that are going to be saved during the tribulation. And here's why. Jesus said this in John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If God doesn't draw you, you can't get saved. If the Holy Spirit doesn't pull on your heart, if the Holy Spirit isn't testifying to you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by, you can't get saved. If that's not happening, you just, you just can't decide to get saved anytime you jolly well please. It has to be a work of God. And um, in 2 Thessalonians 2, Scripture's talking about that time where the restrainer is... Being removed, verse 7. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, that's the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why are they deceived? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason... God will send them strong delusion. God will no longer be pulling people towards him. He'll be pushing them away. That they should believe the lie and that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The fact that it takes God to get saved 
confronts the oldest spiritual lie since creation. And that's this. I can get saved by myself. I don't need God to save me. It's a lie. It's just untrue. And once a person makes that decision, I can get saved without you, God. Once a person makes that decision, there's a point where God says, okay, okay, it's your decision. And so you walk in the wrong direction and, and, and you refuse to believe the truth and, and then you will believe what is false. And I think that's going to be true for millions of people who sat in Bible preaching churches all over because they said no to the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, there is no more pull. There is no more call. There is no more knock. So what's the message of the rapture? The message of the rapture is this. You can't get ready. You have to be ready. And today is the day to be ready. Today. One day that moment will come. No one knows when it will be. But we do know that today, you still have opportunity. And if you've never come to Christ as a Savior, today's the day to put your faith and trust in the one who weaved your life together, the one who breathes into you the breath of life with every passing moment. And that, friends, is a miracle. It's a miracle. Today's the day to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I have an opinion about the shout. I qualify this as an opinion. I can't bake, base, back this up in scripture. But I believe that that shout, at that shout, it's possible that every Christian is going to hear their name. Like, flash, God is that. And I'm going to hear, Terry. Oh, I, get, I look forward to it. This comforts me. Hope it comforts you. If you don't already know him, the Lord is calling you to salvation today. Now I'm going to pray. And um, there's going to be a moment in this prayer where you can just make a decision and say, okay, I need to get squared away with God. And I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you for your money. I'm not asking you to drive the school, the church bus because we don't have one. I'm not asking you to do anything but respond to something that's going on in your heart right now where there's something where the Spirit is saying, come on, let's get this right. I love you so much. Don't walk away from me. I think one of the reasons the cross is shaped like the cross is, I have this mental picture of Jesus, another one of my opinions, like he's standing in front of a narrow opening to hell. And he's standing in front of it saying, don't go past me. Don't please go that way. You have to go past me to get in. And he doesn't want you there. Today, scripture, I'm going to tell you, scripture says, for all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. So I'm going to pray. And um, confessing with your mouth, just tell somebody that you've opened your heart to the Lord. And then you let tomorrow take care of itself. The Lord, I'm not asking for membership here. I'm just asking you to open your heart. And we're going to have our eyes closed. I don't want you to get out of your seat or do anything like that. But I'm going to have a moment where everybody's eyes are going to be closed. And I'm going to look around. And if you're opening your heart, I want you to just give me a little hand wave. So I just agree with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that, that this coming and sure event is not meant to be a scary thing to us. We're to take it so seriously. But it's meant to comfort us and to encourage us and to be our blessed hope. So Lord, today, 
as we talk about this topic and we know that today is the day of our opportunity. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be, as you would be speaking to people, that we would find hearts responding to you. Don't care how many times they've heard the gospel in the past. Don't care what their plans are. I don't care what they think they've done. Either do you. You, you, you love us so much that you paid the price for every single one of us. Now, Christians, please keep your eyes closed. Church, keep your eyes closed. If you're opening your heart to the Lord, if you want to open your heart to the Lord so that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, would you just put your hand up and just let me just make eye contact with me? God bless you. I see that hand. Well, well done. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you too. Any others? I don't want to miss anybody. Spirit is moving. Well, Lord, thank you. Scripture says that when even just one person opens their heart to Jesus,